though, let me invite you to send to Ruth chapter 4. We're going to the chapel. This morning, before we get into the Word, we were able to, again, celebrate six individuals who came to Christ and decided to follow Him in obedience and baptism. And if one of those individuals was one of your loved ones, I want to invite you, if you're here today because your loved one was baptized, would you stand this morning? I want to encourage you to stand for a moment. And um, if one of your loved ones is baptized, we want to say, yeah, look around, standing up. We want to say thank the Lord for you and for your loved one obeying the leadership of Christ today. That's incredible. And so if you still need to be baptized in your life, I pray you'll obey the leadership of Christ. If you need to know him, I pray you'll come to faith in him even this very day. Uh, Let me share with you one of the most disappointing days in my life. It was July 21st, 2019. I was on sabbatical during that time serving, and Angie and I had been literally all over the country, and we were heading overseas as well. And so that particular day, uh, I got up and was doing some things around the house and decided I was going to go play golf. I got on a golf cart, went down to hole number one at the country club we were a member at there in Florida. I played hole one, played hole two, got to hole three. And so it's about 177 yards in length. It's a part three. I pull out a six iron. I stand up and address the ball, and I hit the ball, and the ball came off the club face really, really well. Uh, I saw it tracking toward the green, and I saw it hit the green, and I couldn't tell what happened to the ball. There was a slope on the green, and it, I thought, well, maybe it went over that. So I get on a golf cart, I drive down to the green, and so I walk up on the green, my putter in hand, and when I get up there, look at the first picture. I see a ball mark, but I didn't see my ball. And I thought, wonder where my ball's at. Maybe it went over the green, so I'm looking behind the green, and then look at the next picture. 177 yards, six iron. I made a hole in one. So you say, you say, well, what? that's the most disappointing day of your life. You get a hole in one. The problem was it was only the Lord and me who saw it. And uh, that's the problem. I'm looking around at another fairway. Did anybody see the shot I just hit? Nobody. There's some houses on the left side. Did any neighbors here see this shot here? Because for a hole-in-one to be verified, you have to have witnesses, and it has to be attested. But it was the Lord and me. And so I shared that with people, and they said, Sure, the Lord and you saw that. Absolutely, you did. Uh, You need witnesses. Boaz is coming to this court. And he's getting ready to do something about this Redeemer, and he's doing it in front of people. Now, as we think about this message, I want to challenge you today, kids, students, adults. When it comes to your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, when Jesus went to a cross, and we're getting ready to celebrate that even more so here in just in a couple of weeks. When Jesus went to a cross, he was not crucified in private, he was crucified in public. For people to see. They saw him crucified before two criminals. When Boaz is going to redeem Ruth to be his wife, it was not somewhere in a back room in private. He's doing it in front of witnesses. People are going to be able to attest that Boaz is going to be the redeemer of Ruth. And so when it comes to your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I just challenge you. Your relationship with him is personal, but it's not private. Make sure you're living your relationship out in front of other people. Not so that they will glorify you. They will glorify him and they will encourage you. But you are the light of the world. Jesus is living his life in and through you. Live your life for Christ for other people to see. 
There need to be witnesses, people to attest that. And that is happening here in this context. One of the greatest verses, most familiar verses in the Bible, John 3, 16. You know that verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting eternal life. That verse is about love and it's about redemption. When you look at the story of Ruth, here's what it's about. It's about love and it's about redemption. When the book of Ruth opened, we saw what? A famine and three funerals. Now the book's going to close in Ruth chapter 4. And what do we see? We see a wedding and the birth of a baby. Very, very different in that context. I want to ask you guys here especially, but just couples as a whole, can you remember your wedding day? Do you remember what that was like? I still remember our wedding day very, very well. It's been almost 37 years, but I still remember seeing Angie. She was a beautiful bride then, still a beautiful bride now. I still remember that day. Many people in our lives, our family members, have already passed away and gone home to be with the Lord 37 years later. Also remember we had a 1978 white Monte Carlo that was decorated. We were going on our honeymoon with. It was the ride of a life right there. And so I remember that day very, very well. Do you remember that day in your life? Because here Boaz is, he's never going to forget this day that he takes a wife and her name is Ruth and God has brought the two of them together. And so when you look at this context and you see this passage of scripture, I want you to realize when you look at the story of Ruth, here's some principles, not on the outline, but I just want you to grasp these because these relate to our lives as well. When you look at this passage and this text and this love story, here's what you find. You see that God turns bad into good. Only God can do that. Romans 8, 28 moments. There had been a famine. There had been funerals. They had been in the land of Moab. They're coming back to Bethlehem, the house of bread. Only God could have taken tragedy and turned it into triumph. Only God could have turned pain into praise. God did that in the lives of Ruth and Naomi and here Boaz in the midst of that. God can do that. Same is true in your life. It is well with my soul because we serve a good, good father who turns tragedy into blessings in life. God does that. Let me give you the second one. God calls us to be his servants and to live under his authority. It's interesting when you look at the story of Ruth. She was a servant. In the beginning, she was what? She was a Moabite. She was a foreigner. She was a slave. She was a servant. And ultimately, she gets the title of a wife. That's the hand of God in the midst of that. But her and Boaz are going to live under the authority of God in life. Same is true for us. Live as his servants and live under his authority. May we do that. And then the third principle I want you to see here is that God changes lives. He changed the life of Ruth. He changed the life of Naomi. Before she was bitter, now she's blessed. She comes back empty. And at the end of the book, what's she doing? She's holding a baby. God changes the lives of people. You may be here this morning gauging us in worship and you need God to change your life you need to be saved you need to be healed you need to be set free God can do those things because he is a God who changes the lives of people our lives as well Ruth chapter 4 we're going to the chapel I want you to understand these family matter issues I want you to understand what's coming up in this text that you can relate to look at number one learn how to communicate I read an article recently from the Harvard Business Review and said this, that in today's market in the economy, if a company is going to be successful and effective, they must know how to communicate. 
I mean, how do you communicate vision, strategy, expectations? How do you do that? If you're going to be successful, you've got to know how to communicate. I'll say as well, if we're going to be effective as a church, we must know how to communicate. How do we communicate vision, strategy, expectations as people who are followers of Christ as well? If you're going to have a wonderful marriage and a wonderful family, it is essential that you know how to communicate in your relationships with one another. And if you're going to have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to know how to communicate with him. And please understand, that's not doing all the talking. Somewhere that's listening more than you talk. And so how do we learn to listen to him? When you look at the Bible, you see Samuel's life. What did he say? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. How do we communicate with God? How do we talk with him, but how do we listen to him? Communication is so difficult in our day. Ains and I were at a restaurant on Friday night. Uh, the lady came to serve us, and I said, we want two kids' meals. She got a kids' meal. I got a kids' meal. I opened up the menu, and I said, but also with a kids' meal, I'd like a bowl of pinto beans. And I pointed to it on the menu, and I said, if you can drain the juice out of it, that will be great. Did I communicate? Absolutely. I never got the bowl of pinto beans the entire time. We enjoyed the kids' meals, but never got the bowl of pinto beans. Communication is difficult in our day. And here's the primary reason why. We're simply not listening. I mean, we're passive listeners. If we're going to relate to God and to one another, we need to lean in and be aggressive listeners in life. Number one, listen to God. If you're going to journey in a Christian life, you're going to have to learn how to listen to God. In Ruth chapter 4, in verse 1, the Bible says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. What does that mean? Here's what that means. It means that Boaz knew how to listen to God in his life. Because how did Boaz know something about a redeemer? Well, he knew Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 25. He knew what God said about a redeemer for the land, but also a redeemer for family. Boaz knew how to listen to God's voice in his life. Same is true for you and me. I I can say again to to students who are getting ready to graduate and kids and others, if you're going to live an effective life, you must know how to listen to God in your life. I would encourage you, pursue everything you can. God, how do I listen to you? How do I hear your voice? Because it's going to influence every aspect of your life, the decisions you make. What does God want you to do? Well, you must learn to listen to him. As I said a few weeks ago, you may want to write these words down again. How does God speak to you and me? Well, he does so in many ways. But the primary way is through scripture. The word of God, his word is in Aaron, it's infallible, it's authoritative. God speaks through scripture into your life and my life. Second spirit, he's using the Holy Spirit. When you came to Christ and you surrendered your life to him and he gloriously saved you, the Holy Spirit came to live on the inside of you and the spirit will speak into your life validating the word of God in your life and he will give you direction in your life. The word and spirit, third servants, people around you, Surround yourself with some godly people in your life who will speak the truth of God into your life in a spirit of love. You need to hear from God's people. Another one, songs. We use songs a lot, theologically accurate songs to speak into our lives. God uses music. He loves music and music speaks into our souls. And then the last one we don't like, I could give you many more, but this is going to be the last, suffering. 
He uses suffering to get our attention in life. Suffering in the book of Ruth got the attention of Naomi, got the attention of Ruth, and even the attention of Boaz. But if you are going to live an effective Christian life, learn how to listen to God. Number two, speak the truth. If you're going to listen to God and then you're going to speak, make sure you speak the truth. Ruth chapter 4. The, the Redeemer came, comes by. Boaz asked him to sit down. He takes a seat. He's called the elders, the ten elders. We've got witnesses here. The ten elders of the city are going to come, and they're going to sit down. So they sit down, and then he said to the Redeemer, so, so Boaz is going to have a conversation with this Redeemer. Now imagine this. Imagine if Ruth is in the crowd. Who has she been wanting to have her life connected to? Well, Boaz. Boaz, and may, look at this text in Ruth chapter 4, says, Boaz, what in the world are you doing? I mean, Ruth wants to be your wife and you want to be her husband. You're giving her away to another guy. What in the world are you doing in the town square at the gate? And so here's what Boaz is doing. So they sat down and he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, selling the partial land that belonged to our relative Elimelech, any time in the land of Israel, you could buy land. It was a valuable investment. It was a no-brainer when you could get land. Extremely valuable in that part of the world. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here, in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. I come after you. And what did the Redeemer say? I mean, you, you get this deal of a lifetime. I mean, it's a real estate investment. And here you can redeem this land from our relative Elimelech. What do you want to do? And what does he say? I will redeem it. And can you imagine if Ruth is in the crowd, how her heart must be sinking and breaking to say, I don't want that Redeemer. We don't even know his name. It's Mr. So-and-so in life, not even named. And he is going to be my husband. I wanted Boaz, not him. Boaz, what are you doing? Why are you giving him the opportunity there? Boaz is a slick guy, though. Uh, Boaz is... Knows how to listen to God, but Boaz also knows how to speak the truth. So one hand, you want to buy this land? Yes, I want to buy the land. It's a no-brainer. I want to redeem it. And then Boaz said, oh, by the way, let me give you a little fine print to this deal as well. Hey, hey, when you buy the land, you also got to remember, you're going to get Naomi, the mother-in-law, but you're also going to get Ruth, the Moabite. Uh, Hey, by the way, can I tell you, when you buy the land and you get Naomi and you get Ruth, you also are expected to have a baby in this process as well. And here Boaz is speaking the truth. And then what did the Redeemer finally say? Oh, wait, wait a minute here now. I'm interested in buying the land, but I don't need another mother-in-law and I don't need Ruth the Moabite. I'm sure I'm not going to have a baby. I cannot redeem this. And can you imagine if Ruth is in the crowd, I mean, just the exhale of her life to think, praise God, he's not going to be my redeemer. Boaz knew how to listen to God and he knew how to speak the truth. I was pastoring one day and uh, my assistant said, there's a, a lady here who wants to see you. And so I walked out of my study and I walked out into an open area and she was there. And tears were flowing down her face. And I said, have a seat. And I sat down and I said, what, what's your need? And she said, well, the doctor called and the doctor said that my mother's not going to live very long and a family, we need to get together because she's not going to make it. 
I've got sisters and I need to go get them and I just don't have enough gas money to get them. And so I'm listening to her story and so forth like that. And so I said, well, are, are you connected to a church anywhere? And she says, I don't go to church, but I am a Baptist though. I said, well, there are many Baptists not connected to a church. Uh, that's true. And then I talked to her about a relationship with Christ. And I said, in your personal opinion, what do you understand it takes for a person to go to heaven? And then she said this, oh, I, I, you got to be saved and I am saved. And I said, ma'am, I praise the Lord that you're saved, but I encourage you. In times like this, you need the people of God in your life. That's why the book of Hebrews says we shouldn't forsake gathering together. Some in the habit of doing, but we need to encourage one another. I encourage you to get connected to a local church. And I said, we want to help you. Here's what I need. Give me some information. I said, tell me your mother's name. Tell me the hospital she's in. And she gave me those two points of information. And then I said, if you'll be patient just for a second, I need to go do something. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to pray with you. And then we're going to see how we can help you get your sister so you all can get to the hospital. I have a compassion for people, but also I have a strong responsibility to be a good steward of God's resources. So I leave that setting with that lady, tears flowing down her face. She's a Baptist, saved, knows Christ, not, not in church. So I, so I walk into my assistant's office and I said, I need you to do me a favor. Call this hospital and ask whoever's there about this patient. How long has she been there? And tell me some information about it. So my assistant called the hospital and said, Pastor would like some information about this lady and yada, yada, all that kind of stuff. Well, the hospital said, we don't know that lady. And she's not a patient at our hospital, nor has she ever been a patient at our hospital. So I walked back out, and when I walked out, the, the lady's chair was empty. And then I walked over and looked out the door, and guess what I saw? Her taillights going out of the parking lot. Like Elvis, she had left the building. <laughs> she just wasn't telling the truth. Somewhere, though, in the Christian life, we have to listen to God. We have to learn how to speak the truth. Now, as you think about how do we communicate, learn how to communicate. Boaz is communicating with the Redeemer, but he's also communicating because God's spoken into his life. If, you're gonna, if we're going to have an effective church, we must know how to communicate. If you're going to have an intimate relationship and walk with Christ, you need to know how to communicate. And if you're going to have an intimate, wonderful, healthy marriage and family, you need to know how to communicate with one another. Let me give you these. Number one, how to resolve conflicts. You're going to have differences and disagreements in your marriage relationship and relationships in general. You need to know how to communicate when conflicts arise. It's critical to do that. We all have conflicts. Know how to communicate. Second, learn how to handle money. You need to communicate that because uh, we need to know how to commune and handle money God's way. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But you need to know what God says and then you communicate that. Here's how we handle money. We're good stewards, managers of what God's trusted us with. Then number three, how to make decisions. You're going to make decisions in your life. You're going to make decisions about kids. You're going to make decisions about careers. You're going to make decisions about purchases. You're going to make spiritual decisions in your marriage and family. Knowing Christ, following him, we're going to go join this church or this church. Are we going every Sunday, every other Sunday, once a month? Maybe not much at all, Christmas and Easter. When it comes to giving, are we going to be faithful tithers and give as God says, even above and beyond that? 
all these decisions. You need to know how to communicate if you're going to have healthy family, healthy relationships. Boaz knew how to communicate. You and I need to know how to communicate as well. Number two, make solid financial choices. You and I need to know how to make financial choices. The Wall Street Journal has said for a long time, and I think the number is actually higher now than the number I'm going to quote you, but they said many, many times that 70% of people in America live paycheck to paycheck. If there was ever a crisis, they're financially not prepared to handle that crisis. Also read just the other day some research too that says 48% of people in America who make over $100,000 a year live paycheck to paycheck. 48% of people who make over hundred grand a year are ma- living paycheck to paycheck in life. I led a marriage retreat one time and I said in that retreat, I said, if you could name the most pressing issue in your marriage, what would it be? Hands down, the predominant of people said this, it's related to finances and money. And somewhere you've got to know how to communicate that so you can make solid financial choices. What, what do we do with money? When you look in Ruth chapter 4, you see, again, Boaz sitting in the town square, the city gate. He's talking to the Redeemer about redeeming Ruth and, and, and Naomi and having a baby and, and getting this land. He ultimately says, I can't do it. And Boaz says, I'm willing to redeem Ruth and take on the land, but also have a baby. Why could he do that? He could do that because he had made solid financial choices in his life. He knew how to handle money God's way, so he was in a position to do what needed to be done, and that was to be a kin redeemer to Naomi and Ruth and to the family of Elimelech. Boaz was a wise man. Let me give you these insights here. How can you make solid financial choices? Number one, stop making impulse purchases. I mean, stop, stop just buying stuff without thinking it through, praying it through. God, do you want us to do this? Do you want us to have this? Is this a wise purchase? Resist the temptation. You can buy it now and you can pay later. Resist that. Much of our economy is fueled on impulse purchases and decisions. Stop that in your life and to say, God, it doesn't mean you want us to have something, but we want to make sure that we're wise in what we're doing. Number two, handle money God's way. If you're going to handle money God's way, then here's some plans for your life. Four words that I would encourage you. If you're going to handle money God's way, these words ought to be a part of your financial plan. Give, first and foremost. Before you ever do anything, God, we're going to seek you first in your kingdom. We're going to give to you first, not what's left over. God, you're going to be first when it comes to our giving strategy, giving. Second one is saving. You need to save some. Live on less than you make. Don't spend it all. Save some of that because one day, a rainy day is going to come. You need an emergency fund that you're prepared when that emergency comes. Save some. Number three is invest. You need to make some investments because one day you're getting older and older and one day you're going to retire and you need to be prepared with a financial plan for when that day of transition comes so you invest some so that you look toward the future. And the fourth word is spend. That's where you pay your bills, you have fun in life, you have fun in marriage and family, but you have a financial strategy because you're handling money God's way. You give, you save, you invest, and then you spend. Boaz knew how to handle money. Number three, identify signs of financial trouble. I can tell you this. If your car's not running right, there are going to be signs something is wrong. If your physical health is not right, there are going to be signs something isn't right. 
You're going to see that. If there are financial issues in your marriage and family and your personal life, there are going to be signs that something simply isn't right. Let me give you a few of these. Number one, arguing over money. How many people in this room, how many people watching, you you argue over money a lot. If that's the case, it is a sign of a financial trouble that you need to address that issue in your life, in your marriage, in your family. Number two, unwise use of credit cards. I mean, you're spending more than you can pay off every month. It's just unwise use. You're buying things you don't have any business buying. It's not good stewardship. It's not honoring to the Lord that way. Just be careful. If you're unwise, if you're used to credit cards, put the brakes on. Get a, get a grasp and a hold on that in your life. Number three, living an unrealistic lifestyle. Live within your means. Uh, don't spend all you have. Live a realistic lifestyle. Let God provide your needs, not merely your wants in life. Make sure you're living realistic. This is what God's provided for us. We're going to rejoice in that. We're thankful for that. We're not going to live beyond our means in our day. And before the absence of a budget, how many people live their lives financially and they have no idea of a budget? So when the end of the week comes or the end of the month comes, we know we don't have enough money, but we don't know where our money went to. You need a budget in your financial plan. It's a wise thing. That budget's going to help you, God. We're going to give, we're going to save, we're going to invest, and we're going to spend. Same thing with our time, and we get all the same amount of time in life. But how many of us come to the end of a week and say, all the hours, all the minutes, all the seconds, I don't even know where they all went to, but if you've got a budget or goals, you can allocate your money but also your time. And then number five, failing to give as God commands. If you're not giving as God commands, it's a sign that you're in financial troubles. Can I say this this morning? That when you're a disciple, you're a follower, a learner of Christ, he expects you and me to be givers when we follow him. Why? Because he's a giver. He gave his only begotten son for you and me. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so we are to be givers in the spiritual life as his disciples. Giving is not half time in the service. Giving is a part of worship in the body of Christ for you and me. We're called to be givers in life. And so I just encourage you, handle money God's way and make good, solid financial decisions. Number three, leave behind a godly legacy. When you look at the story of, of Ruth and Boaz, finally we see in verse 10, he says, I bought to, uh, to be my wife. He's talking about Ruth. He bought her. He purchased her. And then on down in verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. They found themselves in the chapel. They're getting married. All, it's amazing how God orchestrated all this. This Moabite ends up in, in Bethlehem. She meets Boaz. She needs a redeemer. Boaz offers it to Mr. So-and-so. He's not willing to do the deal. And Boaz says, I'm the next in line. I'm willing to redeem the land, Naomi, Ruth, and we're going to have a baby. And they ultimately have a baby. And they named him Obed. Only God could have orchestrated that. Look at these truths here. Number one, decide what really matters. Boaz knew what mattered in life. He knew that he wanted to obey God. He knew that he wanted to be a redeemer, a little R to to Ruth. And they were going to have a baby. He knew what mattered in life. I encourage you, think about what matters in your life. You're going to leave behind a legacy. What is that legacy going to be? You can leave behind real estate. You can leave behind money. You can leave behind possessions. Those things are okay. But what are you really going to leave behind? One of the greatest compliments when I do funerals and meet with families, 
is to hear people say about a mom, a dad, about a grandmother, grandfather. They may have left some stuff behind, but here's what they say. I thank God that mom, dad, grandma, granddad knew Christ. I'm grateful, loved the Lord Jesus Christ, read the Bible, knew how to pray, prayed for me by name, involved in the local church, served the Lord Jesus Christ, lived faithful for Christ, made wise decisions, wasn't always easy, but I am thankful that he or she left behind a godly legacy in life. Decide what really matters in life. Number two, understand the invitation of redemption. Uh, Boaz, here's a redeemer, little r. You and I have a redeemer. His name is Jesus, capital R. Number one, relational connection. Boaz was connected to Ruth, the family of Elimelech. Jesus is connected to you and me. Why? He left heaven. He came to this earth, was born in a stable in Bethlehem. He took on human flesh. He's been tempted in every way we are, yet was without sin. He connects with you and me. Why? Because he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He connects with you and me in life. Number two, a purchase price. What did Boaz say? I bought her. I bought Ruth. We're going to have a baby. There was a price to be paid. Paul said in the book of Corinthians, you have been bought with a price. You didn't pay it. I didn't pay it. Jesus paid everything in full for you and for me. He shed his blood and gave his life on Calvary's cross. He died for you and for me. We have been bought with a price, and it's the very life of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Number three, divine willingness. You've got to realize Boaz was willing to redeem Ruth. You've got to realize Jesus was willing to redeem you and me. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Father, your will be done, not mine. He was willing to go to a cross, be nailed to that cross, shed his blood and die and victorious over the grave because he loves you and me and he's willing to redeem you and me in life. Jesus did that for us. And so when you look at the story of Ruth and Boaz, you think about our relationship with the Redeemer. There is a difference between religion and redemption. Here's what religion is going to say. Many people in life say, I'm very religious in life. And I say, well, I'm not religious at all. Because I don't want to be religious. I want to be redeemed in life. And here's what religion says. If you do enough in life, then God's going to love you. I've got good news today. No matter what you do in life, God already loves you. That's what Romans 5, 8 says. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for you and for me. He already loves you. And so you may have made a mess out of life. Good news, God loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son for you. And there are only two categories of people in life, by the way, as well. Good and bad, saved and lost. And I've got news, we're all bad. Did you realize that? Romans 3.23 says, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So just realize we're bad, but God loves bad people. That's what redemption is about. Not religion, but redemption. 
And so Jesus Christ went to a cross and gave his life. He paid a price because he was willing to do so because you and I are loved of God through Christ. We could never save ourselves. We're all bad. We've all sinned. But whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be gloriously saved. It's the work of God in life. So so the question is, what, what are you going to leave behind? Here's what I know. Game of life. How many of you ever played this? It's an interesting game. You get a game like this and you take everything out of the box. And you've got this dial you're going to spend and then you've got this board and you've got instructions. And you get the board out and you get everything set up the way it needs to be and, and you start playing the game of life. And then as you go along, here's, here's what happens. You get the game out. You get cars out. You start spinning the wheel. You start getting money. So you've got a bankroll. You've got some money on your hands. And then you start, you land on one. You have a kid. And so you put that kid in a car. It's going to cost you money. Now you get a college education. It's going to cost you money. And then you land on something. You get a car. Then you get a better job. You get a pay raise. You get more money. You get all this stuff. And instructions say this. Whoever comes to the end of the game with the most money, guess what? What do they do? They win. So if you play the game of life, you travel around the board, you've got a house full of kids and friends, and, and you've got cars with kids and friends and all this money and so forth. You come to the end of the game, and you've got the most money. The game rule said you just won the game. Here's what happens, though. Well, you may have won the game, but you're going to take the board, and you're going to put it back in the box. You're going to take all the cars and the people, the kids and the friends and the college degrees, all that. You're going to put it in the box. You're going to take the instructions. You're going to put it back in the box. And ultimately, you're going to take the lid and you're going to put that back on there. And then somewhere you're going to go store it because everything that you won and you won the game and you had all this money, it goes back in the box and the game is over. One day, here's what's going to happen. All the stuff we have in life, the real estate, the money, the possessions, guess what? One day it's all going to come to an end. Now you're not going to put that stuff in the box, but guess what goes in the box? You and me. We go in the box. I've done a lot of funerals in my day. I've not seen a deed to a property in that casket. I've done a lot of funerals in my life. I've not seen any possessions in that casket. I've done a lot of, lot of funerals in my life. I've not seen any dollar bills in that casket. We go in the box. You may leave behind some stuff like that, but at the end, what really matters? Here's what matters. A godly legacy Nothing like having your loved one stand at your casket. They're looking at you. Maybe it's open. Maybe it's closed. He or she knew knew Jesus. He or she loved the Lord Jesus with all his or her life. Oh, I can still remember mom, dad, granddad, grandma with an open Bible reading the word of God and I can still hear them praying for me. I can still remember seeing them involved in the church, singing the songs, giving offerings, serving Christ in the church, living somebody in a need, giving faithful to meet a need in somebody's life. 
That's the legacy that's going to last for all eternity. At the end, what goes in the box? You and me. What's going to be left? Pray, it's a godly legacy. And it can be. Why? Because Jesus redeemed you and me. Let's bow together. As we bow together and pray, I just want to challenge you. When they put us in the box, and we don't know when that's going to be, are you ready to spend eternity in heaven? And I want to encourage you today, if you're not ready today, you can be because you can come to him just as you are. You'll never be good enough. He loves you just as you are. Jesus sacrificed his life on a cross, buried in a tomb, raised on the third day. He wants a personal relationship with you. And today in the room or watching around the world, you can call out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I know you love me. Jesus, I've sinned against you. I'm a bad person. But Jesus, I know that you gave your life on a cross and died, shed your blood. You're victorious over death in the grave. You are alive. And Jesus, I need a relationship with you. And so I turn from my sin, I repent, and I put my trust in you as my Savior. Jesus, I promise you, will save you today. He will save you at this very moment. You need to follow him in believer's baptism like we've witnessed today. You can obey him today. And we'll schedule a time for you to be obedient to Christ in believer's baptism. You can join the fellowship of this church today. You need a church family. Yeah, I'm a Baptist. You need to be a part of a church. That when you're going through the storm, you've got God's people who will walk with you in life. And then what's God calling you to do? Surrender to him in ministry or leave behind a godly legacy what does God want to do one day we're going to close the box we're going to close the casket and leave behind a godly Christ-centered legacy in your life and you can come to him today just as you are wounded broken he'll mend you he'll heal you he'll save you he'll give you a brand new life now Lord Jesus what a great invitation we pray that we'll come to you today Our staff's going to be here. Our prayer team's going to be here. Father, thank you for calling us to serve you in this way. Because when people come forward in the invitation, we want them to see you. We want them to experience you. That's the call on our lives. And so I pray the altar could be filled. I pray decisions could be made. That we can come to you just as we are and gloriously leave different because of who you are and your grace and your favor. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.